Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 72. Surprise, surprise. The round of 16. Well, it was quite impressive. I wanted to do keep up with it on a daily basis, but there started to be themes that were coming out. And so I just decided I'm going to wait until the end of this these set of games, see what happens, and hopefully be able to tell a fun story. In the end, we got I got overloaded. So much happened, especially especially on Monday. I mean, completely, completely insane day of football. One of the best that we've ever experienced in any competition, any day. So this was just a football bonanza. It's been a great football fiesta. May it continue. Let's break down these games of the round of 16 a little bit. So Denmark were the first to make me look like a complete mug because um, and utterly clueless really because they just picked Wales apart. I know Wales were good for the first 10 15 minutes getting into the game but but Denmark I mean once once Casper Dolberg scored the first goal they didn't look at all like faltering and they just grew from strength to strength. I think 4-0 is a really heavy I think it's a heavy result um for Wales. I don't think they really deserve to be beaten by that much but something's happening with this Danish team right now. Something special is brewing. Of course, I hadn't really paid attention to this. They 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 played in Amsterdam. I didn't realize just how massive of a fan advantage they would actually have. Of course, Copenhagen's close. It's not as if, you know, Cardiff uh, is, is very, very far either. So, like, w- Wales is not that far from Copenhagen. The only problem was that Wales were not able to get anywhere near as many fans into the country based on COVID restrictions and all kinds of things like that. And <clears throat> Wales also flew all over the place. They went to Baku, they went here and there. Meanwhile, the Danish players basically have been able to almost go home every night after games, right? So very big difference there. I think you got to see something, another one of those little elements um, that a lot of the time we don't, we don't think about all the time going into competitions, especially because this is so new to have a Euro that's played all across the the entire continent. And then you have some teams playing at home, a lot of games, some teams playing no games at home, some teams traveling a lot, some teams not traveling at all. And you start to wonder, well, how does that impact players? Is this why some teams have more injuries than others, right? It's it, it's an interesting question. So I, I think there's a lot there to to sort of pick apart. But it is funny the way Denmark just keep having a different hero kind of rise every game. Every time it's someone else. Here, Kasper Dolberg, who, you know, hasn't really done much in, at all in this tournament, just comes and scores two goals. Martin Braithwaite finally gets his. And uh, Mela was excellent. Again, I'm really loving this guy. But th- they're flying. And, I mean, they really do look like a team that could go all the way at this point, especially with the way the bracket is shaped up. They will now play the Czechs, who, wow, they continue to impress, right? And Patrick Schick is on four goals. This performance against the Dutch was the best one I've seen from the Czech Republic so far. And look, Holland, were they were all right for 35 minutes until, you know, when Delict was sent off. You know, yes, the game changed a lot. Daniel Malin had that unbelievably, unbelievably good, but incredibly well-created chance. I mean, he just pushed the ball through four players and just ran. Got himself one-on-one with the goalkeeper and I think just made the wrong decision. Made it too obvious that he wanted to round the keeper. Very, very good save. And then 
within a minute, maybe two minutes, Delict is falling on the ground and should have done one of those Phil Jones, you know, salmon dives to the ground to try and head the ball away. Even if it did do anything, dive on the ball, I don't care. But it's really amazing that he panicked and actually thought to himself, I should grab it. In the age of VAR, it's very interesting that players do things that you're not, like, if you do it, you're going to get caught. It's not like, a, oh, I can maybe disguise this or make it look like an accident. I mean, he could have maybe maybe made it look like an accident, but he would have had to fall and sort of, you know, try and steady himself and the ball hits his hand and he tries to get it out of the way. I mean, then they probably would have given him a yellow card, right? But what he did, I mean, indefensible, He's he's, he's got to go for that. And then after that, the checks really just grew from stride to stride. They were already creating chances. They were already playing well. But once the sending off happened, that's when they really, really just sort of came at the Dutch. And look, the first goal was just an example of how if you're good on set pieces, you have a really good chance of, of scoring and, and putting teams under pressure in this tournament, especially in this tournament. You have to be able to win aerial duels, right? You have to be – and 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 here's the thing about the Czechs. They thrive on these. That first goal is a perfect example. Ball goes over to the back post. Tomas Kalas just gets up, bullies Genie Wijnaldum in the air, heads the ball back across, and here is one of those key things. I mean, three Dutch players drop to the goal line almost as goalkeepers to block Hollis's header. And – I mean, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. That's the kind of thing that I sometimes see from players that I coach who, when they start to panic, they just drop back to the goal and because they don't want to get hit by a shot, so they just kind of back up and hope that they can block something on the line. And you're like, no, you've got to get to where the ball's hitting your foot or your shins, so you've got to go up and pressure it. Um, three players there. If all three of them go and try and get up for that ball, I'm not so sure it goes in, right? Because someone might block it, someone might put the put the hole off so he doesn't really get his doesn't really get a good clean header at the ball, something like that. The second goal though, very strange. Set piece in the back right area, sort of in 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 the check half, not for, you know, probably 20 yards inside the half. And the Dutch are just really compact. Okay, ball comes in, they don't win the first header, they don't win the knockdown, and as a matter of fact, they all go to sleep. As the ball starts to move across, everyone just sort of moves as if they're gonna as if they're the ones that are gonna win the ball and get into position. They're they're a player down. You don't have the players to go and win second balls unless you're aggressive and on it. And then the run through is just just touch it between two guys, pull it back to Schick, two nil. And Holland didn't really ever look like getting back in the game. And so quite impressive from the Czechs. I think where they're at right now, I mean, th- they're going to be playing England. It's, um, it's, it, that's going to be a very – oh, no, sorry. They won't be playing England. Um, they'll be playing Denmark, and I think that's going to be a fascinating, fascinating game. So those two games weren't super great. But then we moved on because Italy – my gosh, the Italy-Austria game was fantastic. It was great. And it, it, again, Italy get a huge, huge wave of momentum for the way they won the game. Don't forget, the way you win games sometimes in this competition, even if you struggle through and win it, sometimes that can be better than thumping a team, right? Because it, it, you can galvanize the group a lot. And the way that Italy are going, this is the most galvanized-looking group 
in the tournament next to Denmark, I would say. And I mean, yeah, this is this is a really, really interesting time because Italy were so close to losing this game. Marco Arnautovic's header was offside by what? A kneecap, right? Not much at all. If that goes in, I'm not so sure Italy come back in that game because, yes, they were fantastic and dominant for the final 30 minutes of the first half. Opening few minutes, Austria came at them, came with some energy. But once Italy got a foothold in the match in the first half, they dominated completely. And if they had scored in that first half, it would have set them up very well. They came out in the second half, and I'm not entirely sure what happened. The pattern started the same where Austria came out hungry, but they never they never lost control of the game after that, Austria. And it took so, so long for Roberto Mancini to finally get his subs on. But the subs he brought on made a huge, huge difference. Chiesa, Pessina, and Belotti were, were massive. They made an enormous difference, obviously, and especially Chiesa. I mean, the goalie scores is absolute class. It's, it's gorgeous, and it's quick-thinking, brilliant technique. The, the shot... He hits it so hard, and it just literally dips at the last second. I mean, it's such a well-hit everything, well-hit volley. I think he's going to be Italy's big star for the next 10 years, or one really one of the big ones. Italy are currently producing a generation of players that could win a major tournament. If if not this time, it, it, it's coming. It really is coming. Then there was an, a big moment because after Pessina scores his goal, where Bellotti does a really, really good job to hold up the ball as he's falling on the floor, kind of digs it out of his feet. Pessina takes it, looks up, and really makes sure he finds the far corner. A huge moment comes a little bit later. Marcel Sabitzer gets basically the same chance and skies it. And at that point, Austria looked done. They didn't look like, like they'd be able to come back. But then... Everything changes. Kalajdzic comes on, and he has an amazing header uh, at the near post. Three guys on him, two of them grabbing his shirt. He dives, heads it through the little gap into the near into the near corner. And I'm sitting there going, where was this guy earlier? He should have been on with the final 15 minutes of the game because I thought he was excellent. I thought he was a difference maker, and, and I, I just was disappointed that a player that was that seemed so good in the, in the small he showed and also scored a goal – he might have been brought in. He he's brought in in the 75th minute. You might win the game. So interesting story there. How the, these two managers maybe left certain substitutions a little bit too late, and then the the subs that they brought on were the players who made the difference. I thought that that was just kind of a fascinating little story to follow. All right, moving on to Belgium Portugal. This was kind of like this was the blockbuster. Along with England Germany, the one that these this is the game that really jumped out on the page, really to me as well. I thought this might be a great game, but man, it turned into a battle. It was pretty physical from the start. I thought that the Portuguese were in, very, very physical, uh, tackling like crazy, just all over the place. It was kind of a vintage Portugal performance, really. But Belgium were also not good. They had a lot of sloppy passes. I didn't think De Bruyne was really in the in the rhythm. I, they weren't starting well, but the good thing for them was that Portugal weren't doing a whole lot in attack either. So you didn't really know how this game was going to shape out. Maybe halftime needed to come around. Then De Bruyne gets injured. The tackle, look, I think it's a yellow card because he really does try and go around the guy and get and get it. But it, it's a very strong yellow. Um, terrible pictures of that. Even worse ones of uh, 
the Ukrainian player. Uh, that's just, just ooh. so I, I doubt we'll see De Bruyne again at this Euro. Actually, I think it's been confirmed to me he won't be. He can't play the next game. I don't think he. Uh, but the, that injury looked really bad. So I don't. I, I would be surprised if we saw Kevin De Bruyne again. Eden Hazard, I guess, won't play the quarterfinal, but. He was getting his ankles constantly swiped and, and nicked at. So he ends up coming off, I think, actually for, for pain in, his, in a muscle. I mean, the guy's playing 90 minutes for, I think, the second or third time in over a year and a half. Pr- pretty incredible. Belgium leave the field totally beat up. Thorgan Hazard scores an outrageously nice goal. I know, look, a lot, a lot of people are saying, oh, the ball's too central. Goalkeeper should save it. This is the thing about goalkeeping that a lot of people don't understand. They look at where the ball goes in the goal and they go, oh, the goalkeeper should have saved that. Forget that goalkeepers, the timing of their footwork and when they hop or lean to a side and when they start to put body weight onto one foot over the other, if they do that anywhere at the wrong moment when a shot's coming in, it makes it very hard for them to save it. Very hard, especially if it swerves like that at the last second. So I'm not with all this blaming the goalkeeper for that. I think that that was, you know, I think Rui Patricio would love to have that back. Could he have saved it? Yes. In his mind. Should he have saved it? Probably in his mind. But for us, you have to understand how difficult the position is. And that ball goes in against a lot of people and a lot of goalies. Good ones, too. I think Renato Sanchez was absolutely terrific. I think he was Portugal's best player. Once again, I think he... Of course, Ronaldo will always get player of the tournament when he scores five goals uh, for Portugal. But I do think Renato Sanchez was the most impressive one for them. And it's kind of a bummer sometimes to see top players exit the tournament when they themselves have been playing so well. And I'll get to that in a little bit. Then we uh, then we really moved on to some beautiful, beautiful stuff. On Monday, we got the own goal... And GK blunder of the tournament. I mean, Unai Simone. Look, here's the thing that's impressive. You get this back pass. Make a mess of it. Goes in the goal. You're down 1-0 in a major tournament game. Before your team even equalizes, they're still passing balls back to your feet. I mean, they never stop. And look, I want to make this clear. This is a testament to Spanish football. This is a testament to the way they do not sell out on their ideas. If they want to pass the ball back to their goalkeeper, they will do it. If the goalkeeper makes a mistake, the goalkeeper makes a mistake. It's up to the goalkeeper to get themselves back in gear because they know that things aren't changing. We're still going to give you the ball. <clears throat> I just I just really think that that's wonderful. I think that, that it's something to be noted that – Having a very firm belief in your style and a firm belief in your pedagogy and and the way you want to play, it, it goes a long way. And look, the Spanish players, they all went and let him know. It's like, dude, it's fine. This like you're good. We got it. Spain definitely looked like they had it. I think overall they were by far the better team. But in the final 10, 15 minutes, they completely fell apart. And it's amazing how much momentum. You, you see momentum go in this tournament. I mean, it, when it swings for a team, if they can capitalize on it, 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 it's it's almost like it dominoes for them. When we see, you know, I mean, they score one 
it felt almost inevitable that Croatia would score the second and take the game to extra time. Then once we're in extra time, Alvaro Morata, congratulations, man. Felicitaciones. You deserve it. That that, that is an excellent goal. It's an absolutely terrific goal. And fit for the occasion and everything he's been through. Luis Enrique, and again, sticking by a player, being like, I want to make sure this guy does it. I want to make sure he scores. Such an amazing moment. Then they get the second uh, goal in extra time. And... Yeah, I mean, really, really incredible. I mean, it's it's one of the classics, one of the Euro classics, one I will certainly never forget. <laughs> I just, I, totally, totally wild. But then Switzerland got us wondering what on earth is going on here. And I'm going to do a in-depth episode tomorrow night. I'm going to record it. I'm going to have guys from the Soccer Subs podcast on here, and we're going to do a little bit of a deep post-mortem on uh, what happened with France's elimination. But I'll go ahead and give you what I think the real breakdown was. As a fan of the team, you know, I I get very, very honest and critical, right? I'm not sad that they lost. I was a little bit, but I'm more annoyed at the very basic glaring issues that I think were obvious, and they sort of plagued France throughout the tournament, and eventually they were going to be punished from it. Now, we've seen for a, we, we saw all tournament France were a little bit slow and pedestrian at times in attack, and then, I mean, first half against Hungary, first half against Portugal, uh, they, they did the job against Germany, and that, I think, that game was good because it was just that kind of affair, first game of the tournament for the two teams, huge game, group of death, you know, even a draw would have been something they would have both been happy with. France get a lead, sit on it, control the game. That was fine. It also works well when teams really want to go and try and control the ball and and have possession for long periods of time and try and find avenues and ways to 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 prod at you. When France play against that kind of team, they defend excellently well. Switzerland didn't play that way. Switzerland were far more direct. And what France do is they tend to just drop way off. They drop their forwards into half field. Their wingers come, you know, maybe 15 yards behind the halfway line. The central midfield of Pogba and Kante, especially in this game because they went with three at the back, so they only had two in the middle, those two were basically sitting and waiting. They were screening the back line. This is where I don't understand what Deschamps was doing. Why do you need two players to screen a back three and no one's pressuring the ball in the midfield? Granite Xhaka had all the time in the world to do what he wanted. On top of that, he never got pressure from behind. So Karim Benzema, not enough pressure from the front. Kylian Mbappe, again, not enough from the front. And Antoine Griezmann, same thing. They, they just... The pressing from the front was so absent from France. They would allow the Swiss to get the ball in any position and essentially be like, okay, you can, you can, we'll let you whip it in the box and then we'll defend it there. That's how the first goal gets scored. And the second one as well. First goal, they're able to just bring the ball forward, play it wide, and no one is within, no French players within five yards of, the, of any Swiss player. Clément Langlais just gets beat in the air 
I don't know why you put him in there. I honestly think Zuma would have been a much better player to put in the back three, especially when Harris Seferovic is out there because he is excellent in the air. But to me, the biggest thing is in the lead-up to the tournament, yes, people talked about Benzema, people talked about Mbappe, right, the front line. But everyone said the joker for France is N'Golo Kante. I mean, something I was saying a lot. The problem I think that we saw was not that N'Golo Kante was absent or played poorly. He was told to sit in the middle. Why? He is a ball hunter. Go let him hunt the ball. Instead, it was he and Pogba sitting in the middle waiting for pressure to come. Meanwhile, the front three aren't initiating the press at all. The reason he is so fantastic for Chelsea is because he plays in a team that presses. So they force balls into the middle. They force bad balls, bad touches in the middle. And that's what N'Golo Kante thrives on. The loose ball, the poor pass, the, the ball that you can intercept. He was bypassed all night. The Swiss just went over and around him. It's perfect for them. They avoided France's most key player. And I just don't know how Deschamps didn't notice this. What's amazing about this game is, again, that change of momentum. Absolutely incredible. When Hugo Lloris makes that penalty save and the crowd starts to go crazy, France's football for the next 20 minutes was irresistible. Absolutely irresistible. And this is the problem. It sucks that a team that can play at that level of quality is now out of the tournament because they were basically complacent and lazy and just also didn't really have the right tactical formation for themselves. This is a team that should be winning the ball high up the pitch and activating their front players. That's what they should be doing. They should not be dropping all the way back. I heard this thing, uh, listening to some of the French television reports on this, that apparently the players themselves told Deschamps we would prefer defending a little deeper. Look, we don't know what the deal is. I think that's wrong. That team should be on the front foot at all times, forcing the other team into mistakes. Because from what I saw, any time France actually put adequate pressure on the ball, the Swiss would turn it over. It was when you would allow them to get on the run, get dribbling, get some speed, look up, play a ball to someone who's able to make a a well-timed run because there's no pressure. And I just think that that's what really shot France in the foot. I think it's unfortunate. Again, this is not a team. I've witnessed France teams go into tournaments and be terrible from start to finish and get knocked out. I've seen that a few times. 2010, when they didn't even get off the bus, they were bad all three games. 2002, they didn't score a goal, were knocked out, were all bad all three games. 2004, they eked their way into the quarterfinal and were just, just dumped out by Greece, who ended up winning the whole thing. You know, 06, they made the final. But that was because Zidane came back. And uh, then I remember, I mean, 2008, it was a very poor Euros as well. It was when Benzema came on the scene and just wasn't really good. They, they, they were quite terrible, honestly. Knocked out, I believe, by the Italians. And it's at least France made a good account of themselves in some way. Because the first goal by Karim Benzema is completely ridiculous filth. I mean... There probably will be some debate about how much of that was intentional, but there was a lot of intentionality to that. The second goal, almost just as good, right? A beautiful combination play with Kylian Mbappe and Griezmann. Griezmann tries to chip Sommer. He gets a little save. Benzema heads it in. And at that moment, I have to tell you, the emotion for me was just like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then Pogba's goal. And there was a view from basically field level 
of behind Pogba and he's doing and he's standing there and the crowd up behind him it's just a bunch of people with their hands on their heads like people just can't eat, cannot even believe what they're watching such a spectacle i mean it was so beautiful and the fact that the swiss made the game of it and took it to 3-3 i was texting with friends of mine going because france are not pressuring the ball like if they take their foot off the gas at all here they will be scored on again and they could very easily lose this lead happens right then kingsley coman with what two seconds to go hits the crossbar i mean this game was mental in extra time, I think France were good, but so were the Swiss. It was pretty much the same type of game. And then penalties happen, lottery. Now the worrying thing for France is how do they come back from this? What what do they do, right? Does this start to eat away at the core and internals of the team? Because you can't win major competitions without being a solid group, without being together. And apparently now the parents were fighting in the stands. There's a lot going on there. But like I said, I will do a more in-depth postmortem on this with the guys from Soccer Subs tomorrow night and uh, hopefully get that up on Friday. All right, the final two games. Of course, after a Monday where you get 15 goals uh, or something like that. I don't even know. <laughs> I think it was 15. Um, after a day where you get that, well you're probably going to have a lull, especially when England are playing. England-Germany was a good game in terms of being tense, in terms of being a major affair. Wembley is a beautiful scene for, for, for games. It's, it's, it's always good. Uh, Timo Werner, Thomas Müller. Two great chances, not taken. Raheem Sterling takes his. Harry Kane takes his. England move on. I don't know how much more there is to say about that. What I did think was very interesting was when Southgate came out and said that if he goes and picks that team and the team doesn't win, he's dead. The amount of pressure the guy is under is, is outrageous at this point. I mean, it's like people, let it go. I mean, now the pressure the pressure was, can you end the jinx with Germany? Well, now it's going to be, well, can you get us to the final? And we have the easiest path to get there. Now everyone's saying England's got the lucky, the good side of the draw. They, they should win this competition. It's really tough. It's not necessarily that easy. Remember, Denmark is in the way, possibly, right? And and that, I mean, gosh, that's a very, very difficult game. The thing for England is that they play Ukraine, who, <laughs> if there was a game of beauty, glitz, goals, and glamour, and you know, and all, that's all that happened Monday, my goodness, this what we saw between Ukraine and Sweden was just a battle. A very well hard-fought game. I didn't see there wasn't any malice really in it, but my goodness, the red card! Oh, oh! Don't show me that picture again. That was terrible. And then players were just going down with either injuries or cramp or whatever, just dropping like flies all over the place to play 120 minutes. Uh, Artem Dovbik comes up and scores. I mean, a dream goal, first goal ever for his country. 119th minute to win it, to tell, send your team to the quarterfinals. Spare thought for Sheva as well, Andrei Shevchenko, the coach. Hey, right there behind me on the wall. Um, yeah, great thing. That was one of the ones I called. But I have to say, Ukraine, I, I mean, without the red card, I don't think they win that game. I really don't because they just they just rarely looked like they could turn up a, um, some pace and make something happen. The funny thing is the goal – Literally comes from Malinovsky driving forward with speed, 
committing a player, dishing the ball to uh, Zinchenko, and then his cross was spectacular. But it wasn't the assist of the round. And look, I think maybe assist of the tournament so far, Andre Yarmolenko, that outside of the football to pick out Zinchenko, who's just arriving at the scene late, was such a peach. I mean, that was delicious. It was so good. Amazing, amazing player to see. And I love it. I love it. He reached into his bag of tricks and did something spectacular. It creates a beautiful goal. Zinchenko's volley was terrific. And Ukraine, well done. Getting into the next round. So... Now the competition starts to get to that point where, yes, it's like getting really intense and heating up, but everybody, the real, the group stage, you always miss the group stage when it's over, don't you? Because remember those three games a day? That's over. That's been over for almost a week now, right? <laughs> we have very few games left in this competition. So we need to start really enjoying what we've had, what these moments have been, and keep an eye on these storylines developing because I think there's quite a few teams here who believe it is their destiny to go and win this competition. Every single game you win, every round you pass, you start to believe it might be our turn. So right now there's eight teams left maybe thinking that, okay? Who's it going to be? I'll give you my little prediction. I do think that England and Denmark will be playing each other in the next round. I think that Italy, yeah, I think Italy will probably go through uh, over Belgium. And and I think Italy is going to make it to the final. I think Italy-England final at Wembley is, is what we're maybe looking at here. But I would also love to see Denmark do something here. Um, really, I, I'm absolutely supporting England from here on out as my team that I would like to see win it. My father's English. A huge amount of my family is from England. Seeing France, who's more, you know, the team inside that I just get more excited about. Seeing them go out in the manner that they did. I want to see someone who merits to, to win this competition to win it. And someone who can also put on a show. So England, time to put on a show. It's, it's up to Ukraine. England should go, I mean, England should be looking to try and win this game well, convincingly. And hopefully the players can start expressing themselves and have a little bit of fun. As I close out, quick nod to Copa America where it is all shaped up nicely, the groups are set, and it looks as if there's a really good possibility, providing Brazil and Argentina win the two games they need to, that we will be seeing a Brazil-Argentina Copa America final with Lionel Messi in absolutely ridiculous form. I think there's only two goals of all of the goals that Argentina have scored that he has not either assisted or scored himself. So fantastic his assist for the first goal I mean, if you haven't seen the highlights of the argentina bolivia game his assist on the first goal is just incredible and then his lob easy goal but still classy as hell messy looking great so yeah, exciting times so yep more tomorrow on the france game i wanted to give a little bit of a of a detailed recap and see what other people think of the big tournament favorites dropping out until then this is campfire football i'm sebastian north have a great one.